Hey everyone, welcome to Manufacturing Hub with me, Dave, and this guy down here, Vlad. This is episode 40. We've got Colm Gavin um, of Siemens, and we are talking digital twin and virtual commissioning. So Colm, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much for having me, Dave and Vlad. Glad to be here. Thank you for joining us, Colm. Really appreciate it. And I think, you know, as Dave had mentioned, we had this slight discussion start with uh, John, who joined us last week, and he was the one who pointed us in your direction as an expert in uh, digital twin technology, something that we've been wanting to discuss for quite some time. I think it was brought back as far as a couple of months ago uh, when we talked about, again, different technologies in Industry 4.0, digital transformation. And I only think that it's only going to continue to grow uh, in that direction. But before we dive into those maybe more technical topics, I would like to get your background. How did you get into manufacturing? What was your experience like starting up? So thank you. Yes, so uh, Colin Gavin again, I'm part of the Siemens Digital Enterprise team here in the US, promoting uh, Industry 4.0 topics um, and cross-business unit solutions from Siemens, from our factory automation division and our industrial software group as well. Um, solutions that you know really hit hit home for delivering um, concrete value for customers, uh, uh, embracing new innovations and technologies. So, so that's kind of what I'm doing right now. The background where I come from, as I mentioned, I think I mentioned to you guys already. I'm an automation guy at heart. You know, many, many years, uh, uh, graduated college in Ireland in 95 um, and then worked in the U.S. for system integrator for a couple of years and then worked for a machine builder for packaging machinery for a couple of years. And then in 2000, I started with Siemens and did uh, as an application engineer, worked many years as an embedded engineer uh, with Siemens at Gillette, actually in Boston for many years. And then... Um, when we did our next generation software, I had an opportunity to travel to Germany. I was in Germany for many years on the development of our TI portal software, user interface design and requirements and so on. And, um, and now I'm back a few years in the US prom um, promoting the automation and just then recently joined our uh, software group, our digitalization group, where we're, you know, these industry forward old topics, which, which cover hit different business units within Siemens. So. That's a very interesting background. I want to, you know, I want to dive in a little bit into, let's say, digital transformation, I think, is a topic that is fairly understood by most of our listeners. But what about the, I guess, digital commissioning and I would say maybe digital twin? Could you give us a better definition or I guess for someone who's not necessarily seen some of the demos, hasn't heard of what it really is. Could you give us a good break breakdown of that? So, from I mean, from a Siemens perspective, we look at the digital twin in 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 three different areas. You have a digital twin of the product. So, if you're you know manufacturing a bottle or a glass or whatever it is, or a car, you have so you have all all things regard regarding the 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 CAD model, the properties of of a product. We also, then we say a digital twin of production, and that's the production machines that are making whatever that product is, cars, chocolate, toys, whatever, right? So digital twin of production. And then in many use cases, people think oh, we, have, we refer to digital twin of performance. And that's Siemens may, may be looking at the, the data coming off 
um, the machines. Many people think, oh, the digital twin is just a representation data coming off the machines, and it is. So there's, so, so there's different, uh, depending on where you're coming from and what your perspective is, you may have a different uh, uh, idea of what a digital twin is. And in fact, you know, if you ask 10 different manufacturers, what is a digital twin? Are they designing the product? Are they building the product? Are they pulling data off the product? They'll all have those different perspectives. And so Siemens, we have a, a suite of tools in our accelerator portfolio that support the development in all of those different phases. So what we refer to as a, a comprehensive digital twin. And where that's important is this idea of being able to design and build a product in the virtual world and then move seamlessly into the real world to how, how, we, how to build it and how to run it and so on and how to make it and all, all of the tools around that. So, you know, for, and it's very simple, you know, a CAD model on its own, you could argue is a digital twin of, of a product, right? It's a, it's a virtual representation of that product, but bringing it to life, making it move, you know, adding a lot more data to it, that's where industry 4.0 is going, is pushing that to envelope, if you like, and not only digital twins, but we often refer to as this idea of a digital thread. If you're a machine builder and you're designing a part or designing a machine, how do you track that product through, you know, if you have, if you're making 10 machines a year, all of a sudden you have to make a hundred machines a year and with all sorts of different options on them, going from the design to the production to selling the change management that's associated with that. You know, there's so many different layers, mechanical, electrical, auto, um, automation, all of those components in the past where you had separate silos of information, you know, mechanical engineers throwing prints over the wall to the electrical person and the automation person. And then, you know, or the manufacturing, you know, when you get from the design stage to try to actually go make it, things start to fall apart. So these, this idea of digital thread is just basically bringing together silos of information that you can manage it. Sometimes we refer to it, this is a, a bill of process. What is it that you need to, to make a product? The people, the materials, the workflow instructions, the drawings, and heaven forbid there's a change. Like the change management is such an important part of when we talk about the digital thread of how you can bring a product from design um, to realize, to optimize then. So, so I know I was very kind of high level there. I know very generic, but just to kind of, you know, what is a digital twin? Yeah, it's a very long-winded answer to that question. Sorry. No, for sure. And I think like one item I do want to confirm as we talked uh, yesterday off stream, when we talk about digital twin, and correct me if I'm wrong, in general, it's more than just a mechanical representation. It's really being able to tie in data, whether it's coming from an existing system or a virtual environment in order to be able to simulate the mechanical, but also the electrical aspects such as, and again, we'll, we'll get into the use cases, but Absolutely. it can help you in many yeah. different areas Absolutely. just so that people yeah. can understand that it, it helps you more than just showing a 3D model, which I think has been done for AutoCAD designers for a little bit of time, but now we're able to really tie in those models into virtual systems that feed real data or simulated data. Yep, absolutely, yep. Dave, did you want to follow up on that? I saw you kind of wanting to maybe throw in a question because I think there's many directions that we can go with this. I'd certainly want to explore the opportunities, but I uh, want to give you a chance also to plug in a question. 
No, no, I, absolutely. So, uh, so as we were talking, I think one of the most interesting opportunities that people are like using application-wise right now is virtual commissioning. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that column and kind of how that is the entry point to maybe some of these larger opportunities uh, that, that you guys are looking at? So, thanks, Dave. So, some of these terms get thrown around and maybe they're not exactly the same, you know, simulation and a digital twin and virtual commissioning. So if you have a CAD model um, in say the Siemens NX CAD software, NX or could be could SolidWorks or whatever, in many of these tools and especially in the Siemens tools, NX, you have a CAD model of a machine and you, yeah, you can do a lot with that as far as finite element analysis and testing and so on. But you can also Man, um, um, with some add-on model, modules, you can bring that machine to life. So a static 3D model can be made to move in the CAD software so that it is going to, you're actually going to really see how the machine will run. And you can, you can um, load material into the machine and see how the machine reacts to the material, how it's making the parts and so on. So a really a visual representation of how the machine will really run as opposed to a static uh, 3D model. So CAD software, CAD software was able to do that for a long time and is getting better and better and more advanced and, and much better fidelity in how it's able to uh, bring this 3D model to life. Where the virtual commissioning in particular comes in is the CAD, the mechanical engineer, can drive those simulations internally. He can just create his own little sequence chart, you know, do this, do this, and then do this. He can write a little script in the software, in the CAD software, or create a, a timing chart to do that. Virtual commissioning is where we say, okay, instead of the mechanical engineer dreaming up, this is how the machine is going to run, we bring in signals from the automation. And they can be coming from a real PLC or the best use case is when we, what we refer to as software in the loop. We are bringing in the signals, the tag, the IO signals from a virtual PLC. We can suck those into the CAD software and then we use those tags and the behavior of those variables on, off or integer, real, whatever. We can use the behavior of that, that data to trigger the simulations or the emulations that you see in the machine. So that, so that therefore, when, when you run the simulation, you have on one side mechanical software showing how the machine will run, and on the other side, automation code that's actually running it. Turn on the machine, move the part down the conveyor. When it hits the sensor, stop, extend the arm. So that the, the PLC thinks it's communicating to a real system. And so it, it, it's a total game changer in a sense of, um, really being able to validate what the machine is going to do because it's not just the mechanical engineer, you know, going through a sequence. It's the automation engineer with his full code behind it. And, and then, of course, so long story short, it's the bringing together of the automation world to the mechanical world where the automation world is driving the simulations that you see. And all of a sudden now the automation person has a, a virtual machine that he can then test his code against. In the past, he was normally at the end of the line. We all know we're all automation guys here. We, we were the ones who get dumped on 
when the yeah mechanical guys out there sorry to say it but between changes and maybe you go on vacation or whatever you know we get them we our our time that we th we thought that we would be able to debug in the machine is usually far less than what we were told we would get but of course the ship date for the machine never changes uh, so we get squeezed so the ability to do all of that code testing, and as we know, any of your coders out there know the 80-20 rule, right? That, that last 20% is the, the, all of the what-if scenarios and have you accommodated for this, those are the ones that will kill you on a real machine, on real commissioning. When you were not able to, like all of a sudden the machine shows up, up and it's just slightly different than what you thought. The parts are slightly different. The position of sensors are not where you thought they would be. If you're able to kind of rewind the clock, go back in time, and now if I could test out all my code, and in particular, I love the uh, the error handling scenarios because you, you, could, you could say for a lot of machines, eh, you know what, the sequence of operations was pretty well known. We got that down. What kills you on the automation side is always the error handling and what if scenarios where um if this doesn't happen and this is happening at the same time, what's going to happen over here? That can be can be very difficult uh, to visualize as you're an automation engineer without the real machine to really test it. And um, we used to joke, you know, when we would like, you know, download our code when we finally had the machine. It's like bombs away, right? You hit the download button for the first time and you, you hope that motor is going works. to go. You hope it's going to work and things. It, I mean, it, it's... All, any of the automation guys know when you bring a machine to life, you do it very carefully, very slowly to make sure everything's working in the right direction. And, and of course, the, you still have to do that, you know, is to make sure that the stuff is wired correctly or the, the coupling right. is mounted the right way that it's going to send the motor in the direction that you think it's going to go in. But nevertheless, long story short, having the ability to really debug and test your code ahead of time with all of your fault scenarios, those are the ones... Because if there's a problem on the machine, we all know the operator is going to look at the panel, the operator panel. And if that alarm message is as clear and as precise as possible, and you have considered all of the what if scenarios, then he should be able to you know, fix the jam or, or, or just restart the machine or whatever he has to do, make it as simple as possible. And, and yeah, the, the sooner you can do it, the more you can... Uh, fine-tune your, co your code, iron out all of the bugs. So, yeah, when you just get onto the real machine, then 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 it's a whole set of other... It's going to be much smoother, for sure. So, again, long-winded answer to a simple question. No, that's. Sorry. I think that's, uh, that's a fantastic answer. I really hope that it uh, clears up, I guess, the opportunities. And there's more things than, you know, commissioning, but it is a great opportunity as far as digital twins go. We have a good question in the chat, which I think would be an interesting segue into also discussing, you know, what does it take to kind of build out a digital twin, like which parties are involved and, you know, what kind of sequence of event can, um, can occur in order to produce something like that. But the question is, how do you address the issue of building libraries for every component, whether electrical, mechanical, or control in order to use in virtual commissioning? So maybe, you know, like take us through the process of uh, a current company having, you know, prints of their new equipment or they're looking to test some equipment. What would it take to build something in the, in the virtual space? 
So within the within the Siemens software, and if, if, and let me just step back a second here because there are different types of simulations, different virtual commissionings for different use cases, whether it's uh, around sizing of components, whether it's mechanical verification of a machine, like a packaging machine, and that was the use cases we were just talking about. But there's also simulation around robotics and simulation and digital twins and virtual commissioning for the whole line, for the whole um, um, line control. So, and the, so th and those are all valid use cases. So, depending on which where you where you're coming from, it, it, it will depend. But if we focus on say the machine builder, if I'm building a machine, for example, and I want to bring that machine to life, a packaging machine, for example, the process or the workflow, of course. Um, the mechanical engineers, excuse me, they will be much faster in um, uh, developing the, uh, if we're using NX Mechatronics Concept Designer from Siemens, there's, there's really a, a set of eight steps required to take a static model and bring it to life. There's a, a beginning with your, you have to define, okay, which are my rigid bodies? Um, what are the collision points? What are the, um, the, the collision points? What are the, 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 the joints? Is it a sliding joint? Is it a hinge joint? Um, and how they will interact. That, that process for a mechanical engineer is actually very easy. They'll fly with it as far as um, applying the, the, what we refer to as the physics to the model, what parts of the model need to move. And, what, and so building out those mechanical models and applying the physics to them and then creating the libraries for that for mechanical engineer is, is people familiar, you know, working with AutoCAD and SolidWorks or NX all day long. They'll be very, very fast with that. There's a learning curve, of course, but they'll be much faster with that. From the automation side, it's you, you can have an automation person try to do it, but I recommend have a mechanical person do the modeling because it's in their environment. They're going to be much faster. The role of the automation engineer is to specify what is your master list of tags that you're going to use to drive the simulation. And I think as automation engineers, we all can maybe relate to, is the tag name that's on the electrical print, is that the same name that you're using in your PLC code? It really should be because, you know, that makes it easier to really track, okay, conveyor up one, you know, and so on. Is that... Because that, what, why that's important is because when we bring now electrical and automation together with mechanical, we're going to use that same tag name. The tag names matter. So you need to, so, you know, because that tag name is going to drive that component in the mechanical model. So if your tag names are all over the place, that's, that, that, that's something, that's actually something we found with customers who were developing digital twins. It was a little nugget of efficiency and quality. Why? Because it forces the mechanical engineer to not just come up with any name that he thinks is relevant. When he's developing the, uh, the tag names inside the CAD model, which are used to trigger, you know, turn on the motor, lift, open the gripper, whatever it would be, they, those names need to match the tag names in the PLC code and ideally the same name for on the electrical print. That drives a quality because it now there's you, you'll find out very quickly when these things come together if the naming is, is wrong or there's a discrepancy you'll go crazy so keeping the names the same having a master tag list that's the job for me at the start I see for the automation engineer because once the mechanical engineer 
again, will, will be much quicker in creating the, uh, the simulation, uh, creating the, simulating the components in the CAD model. Automation engineer then comes, here's my master list of tags. We import them into the CAD system. And then it's just a question of assigning those names to the physics properties for each of the mechanical components. And then at that point, the automation engineer kind of takes over and, and almost does a bit of a wire checkout, if you like. So he's poking signals from his automation code and watching the corresponding mechanical components change in, in, in the model, right? So, and once that's done and okay, yep, mechanical engineer and automation engineer, you're, you're, you've got the right signal mapped to the right mechanical component, then the automation engineer, okay, I mean, he has to write his code anyway, there's no change. Now he's just testing his code against the mechanical model. So, I mean, what I described there was the workflow, the process that we found worked well. And for example, we worked at one company, I think Burrow Tool was the, in Michigan. We took a, 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 a mechanical engineer, he'd only worked in SOLIDWORKS. And we, I think we spent about 20 hours with him. And he said, we said this afterwards, it was about 20 hours for their machine that they did. It was about four hours of on-site training to get him up to speed in just familiar working in NX and Mechatronics Concept Designer. And then he said another four hours on his own, just messing around, learning it. And the remaining 10 to 12 hours actually developing the model for the project that they had. And he said that if he had to do it a second or a third time, he'd be much, much faster because it's the same steps to create the model again and again and again. So, and, 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 and that was a mid-sized machine um, that he was able to uh, model pretty quickly. And then of course, the automation engineer, again, he's just, you can have an automation engineer try to learn it if you want, but if you just keep him focused on the tags and what's driving what, and then let him test his code against it, then that's the better. We also find as well, what's important in this is that if you need to have the director of engineering or executives in companies, they need to, they need to get behind it and say, yes, we need to do this for a variety of reasons, you know, reducing the startup time, flexibility, better quality training. We'll go, I want to hit some of those reasons why you yep. want to do virtual commissioning. I think we kind of missed that at the start. I want to kind of kind of go back to that. Mm -hmm. But the reason I it's so important to have um, say executive backing for what you're doing because you can't just dump this on the work that the mechanical engineer is already doing. You need to, he needs to be given the time to carve out, to learn the tool and create the digital twin. It has to work its way into its into the process. We find some companies actually hire a dedicated person to do the, the simulation or more, most, more often than not, the, man, the director of engineering, they, yeah, they'll say, okay, this, these persons, these are the guys who are going to do the digital twin and they have been, um, car we've carved out time for them to do it. it. When you start throwing it on stuff of, on top of everything else they're doing, yeah, then it's, not ideal, you know, so they need, so the, it needs to, the process needs, they need to be given time to learn it, to do it, and then it'll work its way in, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. And, and Colm, before we dive into those diverse applications, right, because I think they're not as obvious, maybe as uh, commissioning, but equally as important, if not more, I want to kind of circle back to most question, uh, 
um, he was asking, you know, about the different components. And again, correct me if I'm wrong, but my assumption is that you have a pretty long list of library items that are available. So let's say if you go into the Simmons simulation, then you can probably find all your drives or all your controllers on the electrical side and probably even more components from other third-party vendors. And then if you want to create something custom, then you would have to add that as a component and you can design something that uh, is either not there or you can you can... I mean, it's just like you would expect out of like a CAD software, right? Where you can add your yeah. components so, as needed. So we have, when we talk about, again, our digital twin for machines, we it consists of three main components. There's the virtual PLC. There's the, for the simulation of the PLC. Then there's the simulation of the electrical components. We use Simit for that. And then there's the mechanical model as well. So for the PLC, we use PLC Sim Advanced, which simulates all of our S7 1500 PLCs. And, and safety, technology, drives, and motion, and so on. So that's our virtual PLC, PLC Sim Advanced. That can work for the many times that that can be enough to just connect that to a 3D model, NXMCD. But in many cases, if you want an accurate digital twin, and in most cases you do, what about the drives? What about the other electrical components that may need to communicate to the PLC, but aren't necessarily controlled by the PLC. You might have a specialty IO scanner or some specialty device, a camera or something like that. This is where uh, Simit comes into play, where Simit can um, uh, simulate the behavior of the Siemens drives. And that's and what's really important about that is because if I do a virtual PLC and I've got drives, most automation systems have drives on them and most of the drives have safety on them. So one of the... One of, the, one of the core, one of the North Star Holy Grail goals in virtual commissioning is to have zero change. When you go from your virtual PLC to the real PLC, you want to have as little as change in your code as possible. How do you do that if you have drives and all sorts of electrical devices that you need to communicate in your project, especially if they've got safety on them, you know, you, you, that's where Simit comes into play. So Simit will emulate the behavior of the drive. Um, so PLC Sim Advance, all my logic. Simit will do the drives and, and any other specialty encoders or specialty um, power devices, whatever that we may, we may want to need to be in in the model. And then of course, then the mechanical model. In that case, NX Spectronics Concept Designer. So that's just a, that that model that could be process simulate plant simulation. Those are other simulation tools for robotics or line simulations. That will those models we change depending on the use case. But the first two, the virtual PLC and say the simulation of the electrical components, that's PLC Sim Advanced or Simit. And within Simit, going back to your question, sorry, no long-winded answer, but within Simit, there are yes a vast library of elements. That you can choose valves, piping, and so on. That you you can um, bring in. That they, they can simulate the behavior. All of the Siemens drives are in there by default, but you have the ability to um, simulate, create your own simulation. There's something what's known as FMUs, functional mock-up units. Those are some. Those are if if you have a um, an electrical component that behaves in a certain way, if you're able to create the, the runtime behavior of that as a functional mock-up unit, that file can be imported into Simit, and then we can simulate that in, in, in Simit as well. So very open in that sense. So like 
this is where I, I was like, if I only had a picture in the background, I could show this much clearer than 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 um, than it is to talk to. But no, but I think it makes sense, right? And once you create it, you can use it in again different applications, different business units, right? Like you grow that library just like um, anything else as you continue to develop these simulations. But no, and, I, and, I think that answers the. And 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 I think just to start in that, like many cases, we find if, if uh, machine builders, if they want to create a simple simulation or digital twin, this very simple one is maybe they just need the virtual PLC with PLC Sim Advance, and they just need Simit uh, to simulate some of the drives, and and they can get a lot done just with that. There, it's then if it, they may not need a CAD visualization of the machine, but if you want the CAD visualization because in many cases, it's one, an automation guys, you, you'll, maybe you'll, you'll, you'll uh, this will resonate with, you can poke the automation all day long, but until you have material running through the machine, it's difficult to really see how the machine will behave. And that's where the CAD model with Mechatronics concept designer is really helpful. Because of course, with my virtual HMI and virtual PLC and virtual drive, I can poke the, the CAD model and I can see the machine behave, but with, but now start running product through it and see how it behaves on its own and start opening doors and jamming products. That's where the, the CAD visualization comes into play. So again, it comes back to the use case. What is it you're trying to do? What is it you're trying to, um, to simulate? Some controls engineers, they may say, oh, I just, I just need virtual PLC and the virtual drive and the electrical simulation that's good enough for me. But I find you're going to hit a wall there pretty quickly before I need a virtual machine that I can simulate against because I can run product through it and see how it really behaves. So, And I really like that uh, common column because, you know, I, again, I want to draw this back to an automation engineering perspective. But as, you know, as an engineer, I was always or sometimes asked by the product development teams hey, can we run this different box size? Can we run this, you know, a material of, let's say, of a different viscosity? Can we run this thread that is going to be wider? Can we run something with like a different consistency, color, what have you? And I think, you know, as a segue to the different applications, I think it's very valuable in being able to not have to build a, a separate physical line in order to conduct some of these R&D activities, which happen inevitably, I think, in almost every field, because usually even your case packer is going to run a uh, hundred different SKUs, your fillers are going to run different liquids, different you know temperatures, so everything's going to change quite a bit, and that's one of the uh, I would say like very interesting use cases for a digital twin, and we can of course, explore from an OEM side as well what that uh, looks like because we do have a resource that we published on uh, Manufacturing Hub.Live. But let's talk first, I guess, the materials just to kind of close off on that thought and then talk about the OEM use case. Well, I, I want to I pick up on what you just said there about a um, not having to build a physical prototype. I mean, we, just, we have, a, have a real customer example, and I can't name the customer, obviously, but in the, in the material handling industry where... Uh, product coming down a conveyor, they're trying to divert the product, but having problems averting it where some cases the, the packages or whatever are getting speared on uh, on the diverters or not. And, and so this was an issue they were having in the field. And um, so the, the, the mechanical engineers were, okay, they had something like eight to nine, possibly 10 different 
mechanical concepts to how to fix the issue. Yep. And they said, bringing a mechanical concept to life is a lot easier said than done because it, it would usually maybe it would take maybe two to three months to spec out the mechanical parts, program, and then build it. And they said, in many cases, it's, and these are large material handling systems, it's just not possible. We can't build 10 different prototypes. So we need to really, we, need, we needed a way to shrink down the optimum number of prototypes, ideally one that we would actually build. And, um, you know, so this was, a, a, and I distinctly remember the, the guy saying, do not underestimate the effort in creating and building these prototypes. And they were under pressure because it was an issue happening in the field. So um, th this is where the simulation, it was actually, it was, it, for all intents and purposes, it was a retrofit that they were doing. They were using the digital twin to verify a new and optimized design to, to fix a problem they were having in the field, but being able to reduce it down to one prototype and the amount of money in, they actually had a great ROI, the amount of so something like 70 or 80% reduction in cost, 70 or 80% reduction in time, but just because they were able to simulate everything with the digital twin. Physics-based, right? Verifying yep. how the park will really flow on the conveyor and will divert correctly. So I, I want to add just like a, a very short thought on that. It's not just the cost of building those machines but it's also taking away the time of that manufacturing line to test you know the the development right because that's that's kind of what i've been through you have to pay the operations team to test any of these um i would say like r&d projects right so it's also time lost on your production line in order to be able to test this new invention that the mechanical guys put in place i mean, I mean that com comes back to I wanted to say that as a start, uh, Dave had asked, okay, what is a good, what is, what is virtual commissioning? And we talked about, okay, it's combining mechanical and automation, but why? Mm -hmm. Why for me is absolutely reducing that startup time for the machine builder or for the end user when they bring a new machine in. Um, the flexible product handling, how are you, I mean, that was exactly the case there, you know, Instead of 10 lines running 10 different products, you need one line that can run 10 products. And so you need some level of mechanical sophistication that can handle different products. So you've got different tooling. So how do you test that? Again, simulation and virtual commissioning is huge to make sure if I have a different type of product, many different types of products running on a system, can the machine adapt, can it handle it? And then quality is built into there. And then that leads into then the topic of virtual training big thing that we kind of hint, hinted at this but i wanted to kind of hit on it now you know being able to train an operator virtually before uh, he touches the machine obviously it helps the machine builder because they're able to kind of get their staff up and running and quickly on it but it's really the the end customer who's receiving the machine many cases they may have a high turnover of operators so if you have a digital twin that can help uh, a virtual digital twin training station, if you like, that can help an operator uh, learn on a virtual machine, that's very, very helpful because in so many cases, it's not just one product running on the machine. Many, many lines or machines may have different products running on them during, the, during a shift. So product changeover, setup times, homing, how easy is it to do that? All of that can be tested with the digital twin and verified ahead of time. And then maybe not a hundred percent, but a lot more than you know, as a, what you're able to do without it.
So, Dave, did you have a follow-up? I have a couple of questions, but wanted to give you a chance Jump in. Well, thank you, Vlad. I, I have so many follow-ups. Okay. Um, I, I think that that should not surprise anyone. I, I especially want to dig into um, a couple of actual real-life applications as to if we can talk about customers or not. Uh, we'll leave that TBD. But but first, I'm going to ask Vlad for his strange uh, laugh track, which is the intro, and we're going to thank uh, Siemens for their sponsorship. So, so, Vlad, can you give me the strange laugh track? <laughs> <laughs> One time we'll actually get Vlad, who's going to make a, a real life uh, laugh track, but uh, but that is not today. But but speaking of which, uh, so uh, again, we want to thank Siemens uh, for sponsoring the Emerging Technologies theme, and so we're, we're changing it up uh, this week. So we're actually talking about a live event next year. Uh, so next year, Siemens and Electromatic um, are inviting us and over 3,500 other manufacturing executives and engineers and enthusiasts to what we're calling Manufacturing in America 2022. Now it's in inside Ford Field in downtown Detroit, Michigan. Um, in, that's from March 23rd to 24th, 2022. Um, and, and I did do a Google because I wanted to make sure that the Detroit Lions were not like crazy like the Buffalo Bills and they have a dome good news, they have a dome. We're not standing outside in the potential snow in March of 2022. Um, and so the show is about learning uh, the newest technologies, sharing best practices and ideas, and being part of the advancing the future of manufacturing. So this is an in-person event. Uh, they're calling it hashtag MIA22. Um, it's free to attend. They ask us to go ahead and do the registration. Uh, so there'll be over 100 technical seminars, over 50 exhibits focused on digitalization, automation, control, controls and drive technologies. Uh, Vlad has, or no, actually John. Thank you, John. John dropped the link in the chat below. Thank you for that, John. Uh, Vlad and I and a couple of other people are actually working on getting to the show and Vlad and I are hoping to do a, a live event there, but we will leave that to be determined as, as four months out is a little far uh, for me to be able to figure out what my schedule looks like. Um, but no, so we want to thank Siemens for sponsoring Emerging Technologies, uh, the what should be very fun manufacturing in America event and their continued support of everything uh, in the community. Uh, so with that, Colm, I want to jump back into some actual uh, applications. And, and the reason I ask this is because we've talked about all the things that we can do and from an automation engineering standpoint or from nearly any other standpoint, I mean, it seems almost like sci-fi, right? Like we, we can go from it taking three years to build a machine to we can have a person who's very good at CAD potentially mock up a machine in 20 minutes and, or in 20 hours, so half a week, and we can see it moving. And, and having lived through many of the, hey, we're buying a machine, this is kind of sort of what it should look like, cross our fingers, three years from now, if it shows up on time, it shows up. I mean, it, it seems like it seems like something that I don't know why we haven't been doing it for decades or it just is, is not possibly true. So can we talk a little bit about some, some applications um, of, of companies who have gone and built these and, and kind of the, their feelings towards them and the outcomes? Yeah, absolutely. So I think most, the most recent one machine builder for me that's really important is uh, AG Stacker. They're a manufacturer of uh, machinery in the corrugated paper industry. So your 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 yeah when your Amazon box your pizza box when you think of corrugated paper that paper probably has run on one of their machines um, at some point and um they they embraced this idea of using 
uh, a digital twin as a training a, a, a training station um, for one of their shows in, in August. And we developed some digital twin training stations with a pedestal, a real HMI, and so the, the operator could get a sense for interacting with the machine and then using the, a large screen that would be the, the model running. And we developed that for the show, and it was just really astounding because we had three digital twins in their booth in the uh, Supercore Expo in, in, um, in Orlando there in August. And customers would come in and they'd interact with the, the, the real HMI and they'd see, oh, you know, I can, I can see the real machine moving. And, and it, they, they turned out to be not obviously a fantastic tool for, to train operators, but it turned out to be a phenomenal sales tool for AG Stacker themselves because customers were looking, saying, hey, I can see my product. I can see the product, the corrugated paper, as you can imagine, and packaging does like, gazillions of different variations of the how the paper is cut and managed so the the bundles that they would deal with um they were able to customers were looking at their machine and going wow so you can show me how my product will run in the machine um and then they would actually come back they gave dimensions of the products to the ag stacker engineers who then the next day were able to model it up and say say here you go this is how your machine will run so it's it's it it they, this company really were in, um, had the insight, the foresight, I should say, not only to develop the digital twins, but they knew that these were really effective sales tools. And it was kind of uh, funny with their other machine builders in, at the show who brought real machines and they just sat there collecting dust because you can't run product at a trade show. Mm-hmm. We were running different products across three different digital twins. There were customers in the booth. They were there for, for hours, just really getting a good understanding of how the machine would run. Because they said they used to say, well, if I want to see the real, if I want to see how good the weld is or where your, how your piping is on the wiring, that's another visit. I can go do that. I don't need to come to a trade show to do that. Trade show, they really want to understand, will their product run on the machine and, and, and again, for new machines. So um, it was, it just turned out to be this uh, uh, incredible side effect that, wow, these are great sales tools. Now, what does that mean for this company, AG Stacker? What does it mean for machine builders in general? They now, their sales colleagues are AG Stacker. They want to take these digital twins to their customers. It's going out into the field and also early collaboration where they can, without without an actual machine even being built, they can collaborate with a customer remotely. And in their COVID, crazy COVID times, right? This is another side, another benefit of the digital twin. The um, uh, validation, if I'm an end user and I'm buying the machine, I want to have an early, say, design review. I want to validate um, what I'm getting and make sure that it's working before it shows up. Mm-hmm. So um, this, this technology, Digital Twin, um, epitomizes that. So AG Stacker was one company in the trade show, and there's a video up in my LinkedIn that um, I think we can, we can send a link to that, that, that shows their, 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 those, their Digital Twin training stations because I think it's very, I would, I think it's, uh, uh, very interesting to see what they did. I think a lot of other machine builders could learn. Um, this could be, you can you know, hit a few birds at one stone here. You can, it's an effective way to train operators. It's an effective way to uh, sell your machines. It's an effective way to maybe uh, grow um, ongoing revenue to help. How do you help optimize the machine afterwards? They even felt that they would get a much closer cooperation with their customer if they know 
that something needs to change and they have that close cooperation with the customer, they can make the change into the digital model, make a change, test it, and then you know, push out a new product or push out a new variation. So the, 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 the loop, the feedback loop back to the machine builder can be, can be much shorter. So a huge amount of benefits there. So that's AG Stacker. But one thing I mentioned there that's very important when we think of customers is the relationship between the machine builder and the end customer. Because I'm an end, if I'm the end customer and I'm using this for validation, this idea of a digital twin, who has, what, what end customers do we know, manufacturers, if you like, have taken that to the extreme? And that is, of course, if you look at in the automotive, um, two in particular, Ford and Tesla, where virtual commissioning is a milestone in line commissioning. You can't, you can't get paid unless the digital twin models are submitted and tested and verified. So, this is a, it's a, I don't mean to scare some machine builders, but when end users start, like they see the value. It's not like, okay, I could do an early design review with you many months before I get the machine and I can go through my checklist. That's great. But if you want to follow a standard, have you created a standard? Like Ford and Tesla have built that into their specifications. The digital twin will do this. It will, you know, to make sure that when that real machine shows up, there's no if, ands, or buts, there's no miscommunication. And I think that's a trend you're going to see more and more, where maybe an end user in the past they may have asked for, okay, the PLC program with the machine, or maybe I want a CAD model for the machine. Get ready. You're going to see end users saying, I want the digital twin of the machine. And I want, you know, and 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 maybe, and there's ways that machine builders and end users can work together so that they can share data so that there's no IP loss. You know, there's ways that we can work with them to lock down a file or a certain way that if a machine builder is afraid, I'm not going to give my end customer the digital twin. You know, I could be giving up some IP. There's ways around that, that they don't have to do that, but still satisfy the need of the end user for, I need to validate. I'm paying a lot of money for this machine and I can't, you know, because what used to happen, I heard one, I'm not going to name the customer. I had one end customer say to me, you know, the machines come in, the line builder or the, the machine system integrator, he spends a month online and I get, you know, I get, I, I, I get a Word document saying this is what the machine is going to do. And they're on site for better, maybe two or three weeks, making sure it works. And then they're gone. And then I'm left holding the bag. And so they, there's, I think there's a lot of end users out there that, they have more power than they give themselves credit for to push back on the machine builders and say, if you want me to buy this machine, I want to, in the validation and sign off, I want a digital twin. And if, if, that, if those end users have built digital twins into their specifications, that's only going to help both parties. You know, the, the, this, this, this trend with Industry 4.0 and becoming a digital enterprise it's not the machine builders on their own. It's not the end users on their own. They need to come together. You know, that the, the end users need to start demanding these better, these, these models, these digital twins, which give them their better, ver better validation, verification. But it only helps the machine builder because it's going to help them produce a better quality machine that's going to have less um, um, commissioning, real commissioning time when it shows up on site. So it's a win-win for both. It's so we're just, Siemens is educating end users and machine builders on these tools. 
and then you know we can help them and and uh, you know onboard these technologies um effectively and quickly so no absolutely i think again this ties back really well to some of the you know business problems that we talked about earlier in this discussion because ultimately the time of commissioning is getting shorter and shorter and ultimately you know this is something that we didn't really mention but a lot of times it's driven by market demand and by teams that are external to let's say the engineering team so you have this pressure to deliver a reliable machine because there's deadlines that have been put in place outside of your own control per se right so there's a lot of um like there's not a lot of wiggle room so to speak for a machine that arrives in a different state than what it was said to be um you know two weeks ago for example but no come i want to you know discuss some of the i guess advancements that you will see in uh, digital twin technology and mo once again brought a very good question that i think can segue us into that which is actually very close to that so if mo says going beyond the commissioning could you comment on the uses of digital twins for machine post-commissioning? Have you seen a live digital twin used to validate ideal machine performance versus real-time performance? Um, is there a possibility to give the end user the ability of identifying bottlenecks, issues, etc.? And that's, I think, a very good question. And we talked about, you know, a little bit about the variation in the material. So maybe, you know, what are your thoughts on what's currently available? So, so actually, actually, great question. And there, there are two parts to that question. There was the um, optimizing of a machine in real time. How can we use the digital twin to do that? And then let's just say there's, okay, um, once the machine is up and running, kind of the ongoing optimization of, of, of a line, if, if you like. So um, we have modeling software, um, say what we refer to as, <coughs> excuse me, um, system level simulation. So how are the components that are on the machine, how are they really behaving? So some of this 2D or some of the system level simulation software, something similar to MATLAB, and what we have is it's called SimCenter AIMSIM. That's a multi-physics modeling software that can model the, the, the mechanical, the electrical, the thermal, the, 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 the fluid. It's an incredible tool that can really simulate are the are the components the pressures and the heats whatever are they behaving are the components and behaving as expected and we can model that behavior that model then can actually run we can we can encapsulate it as a functional mock-up unit and that can actually be loaded onto an edge device and 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 do what we refer to as live twin where up to now, what I've been referring to is using a CAD model of a machine or you know, using a digital twin, a simulation to uh, test something, to verify something before it's built. You can also use these system level tools to verify are the components on the machine sized correctly, the hydraulics, the electrics, the heating, the cooling, is everything sized correctly or the right components? But once the machine is running, we actually can take that system level model, encapsulate it as a functional mock-up unit, load it onto an edge device in this live twin application and run the model real time side by side with the machine. And then we're actually able to do what's known as virtual sensors in the model. 
So let's say the real machine is filling to a level, but you're not sure it's really difficult to get a sensor on the real machine. You could have the virtual machine, the virtual model running side by side and use a, a virtual sensor in the model to actually, oh, yep, you've hit a limit. You could feed that to the real machine and have it adapt accordingly. So absolutely, not all simulation tools, like some of the simulation tools we have, like for computational fluid dynamics, they take a little bit of time to run. So they're not necessarily able to run real time, but models that can run real time side by side by the machine. This is for me, I think the most interesting aspect where digital twin and simulation is going because you're, you're, you're using them to adapt the machine in real time. So we have system level tools that can run real time we can encapsulate them as an FMU, put them on an edge device, and then interact with the machine, use virtual sensors where, where, where necessary. And then if we go to the line level simulation, I'm thinking of a plant simulation tool. Plant simulation, these are tools where, because um, so, okay, virtual commissioning, if you like, and everything prior to that, that's all about real time. You know, real so you you can you can model the machine behavior in real time, but from line simulation and, and using plant simulation, discrete event simulation, in many cases there, you don't care about the mechanical what happens the mechanical interaction. I care about throughput, machine utilization, good parts, bad parts, right? It's a different use case, so we can speed up time, so I can use a model, plant simulation essentially can predict, okay, based on the, the, the input you've given me for how this machine will behave, I can speed up and tell you the next eight hours, the next, the next week, the next month, the next year, and run that simulation. And then and just in a couple of minutes, seconds even, I can tell you what the throughput is for that machine. And then I can apply pricing to it. Uh, we can do different scenarios. So we have simulation tools that can look forward, that will predict, well, what happens if I have an extra buffer here? What happens if I have three more people on the line? All of the what if scenarios, we can, we can apply those to those simulation tools and predict, okay, oh, you know what? I need an extra, uh, I need an extra buffer, an extra conveyor to handle what, what's here. Otherwise I'm gonna have a problem. So we can use them to help solve bottlenecks. But of course, Going back to the original question, yeah, we want to be able to take those simulation models, those tools, and as much as possible, put them on edge devices running beside the machine. Because I don't, a lot of manufacturers, they'll say, we've heard about this, we have reporting tools up the Yazoo. I know when stuff goes bad. I know, I, I, it's, and it's a mess trying to de decipher, okay, we could spend hours and years, man worth of years, trying to figure out, look at the dashboards of what went wrong. What we really need are simulation tools that can help us predict and then in real time adapt the machines to fix them, you know, to, to, to uh, speed up, slow down, or adapt to future conditions. And that's where I see, you know, simulation, you know, you can use a simulation tool to, to predict discrete event simulation in the future, but put that on an edge device, encapsulate it as a, to run beside the machine and then interact with the machine. That's where I think you're going to have a lot of, uh, 
you know, it's basically then you're talking about AI, some of these tools, advanced machine learning. Um, we have a tool called the experiment manager, which is a, it's built into our plant simulation. You know, yeah, you can do that offline in my office today. Hey, give me three different scenarios and let's see which one is the best. That's great. And you have an, and now you can take that feedback and you can decide which one of the options you want to use. Totally valid use case. But what we really want to get to is taking those tools and putting them down on the shop floor running real time to help the equipment um, react and not just, oh, yeah, I'm stopped. I've got a fault. <laughs> what should I do? Right? So I know that's another long-winded answer there, but it's a... It's, 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 I think it's where the future is going with the simulation to incorporate it into the automation to help predict um, what the automation should do and tell it what it should do. No, absolutely. So, so I, I love that, uh, Colm. And I think that that is one of the most interesting, what I would call practical applications or where the, we can already be half a step away uh, applications for artificial intelligence. And I think one of the most interesting parts that you brought up is not just kind of demand and throughput, but we can actually go through the process and pull in costing and we can live cost, you know, what it costs to go run product at whichever rates here live today and we can you know figure out what how that changes based upon cost of raw materials and power and kind of all of that uh as we move forward into the future which is going to help the ever more connected uh universe well one other aspect where this is going in the future and people can look this up on in google if you just google um ai and the chocolate factory so you go siemens ai and the chocolate factory this i just this is one of my all-time favorite applications where they're essentially they they're using ai to optimize the motion control and in-feed application so it, they, they, they use a chocolate bar but of course there can be any product it's an in-feed application where um products of random size and at random times are being dropped on the conveyor but they, in order to move on to the next step in the process, they have to be precisely located on the, on, on, on the end conveyor to be fed in correctly to the next part of the system. So the question was, could they use AI to optimize the control of these three conveyors that had to work together? So it's, uh, and this is kind of material handling issued as well. You know, you see this a lot for kind of this ideal spacing of product before you, you feed it into the next line. So the question was, could you use AI to do that? And, and yeah, you can, no problem. And they said, and uh, the AI, the, the, in the application, it talked about reinforcement learning, where reinforcement learning is, you know, there's many different types of AI, but this one, this one type of, it's like how a child learns. It, it will do everything wrong before it eventually figures out the right way to do it. And so they said reinforcement learning as a type of AI, you cannot use that on real equipment because you will destroy the equipment as it tries all sorts and every type of combination to try to do it. It's not going to work. So they still wanted to use reinforcement learning as, as, the, as the way to teach the AI to, to train the motion control on the, on the machine. But they said, why don't we use the digital twin model to train the AI. And that simulation trained AI, I mean, this is really, I think the next level where um, you create the model, it helps you define how the machine is gonna run, but then use the digital twin 
to tweak AI programs because anyone who's done any AI applications knows I think the hardest part is getting the data from a real machine, going mm -hmm. through all those use cases, training the AI. If you have a digital twin and you can get as much of that done as possible, I mean, why not use that? It's, it's, a, it's a fantastic use case. And in that particular one with the AI and the chocolate factory, they said it would take something like 3 million cycles on the machine for the AI to learn correctly how to place the products across these three different conveyors to get the precise infeed. They then said, but 3 million cycles on a real machine was impractical, wouldn't work. And they did it then with the, they used the simulation to train the AI and some, you know, a pretty high powered computer. And it was over a course of something like 72 hours, the AI had trained the motion control, you know, application. So, so, a lot of application, that's something that if you invest the time, the digital twin, we started with virtual commissioning. My God, it's so much more than just that. You know, mm -hmm. people shouldn't just think, oh, I'm going to do a CAD model and I'm going to make the CAD model come to life. And then I do my machine once and then I'm done. I just, you know, it's going to sit over there and it's going to collect dust. No, you want to keep that model very close, identical to the real machine. You want to get some extra revenue from your end customer to help optimize that machine by using the digital twin that you've created, retrofits, training, optimizing the machine, sales, promotion. I mean, there's so much more to it that, um, that just people have to step back and kind of, you know, just look at what's out there. So. Absolutely. No, I think that's amazing. Again, I love that example. And to, uh, to shout out one of our earlier emerging technologies uh, conversations, so episode 38, so a couple of weeks ago, Jeff Winter was talking about how he is most excited about artificial intelligence and what artificial can, intelligence can help do to kind of go through the process of optimizing. And we briefly got into kind of uh, mainly like maintenance style conversations. But I think that the conversation that we're having as to how we can leverage a digital twin uh, model in order to kind of do all of these things is uh, is, is very exciting. Uh, it, it's absolutely very exciting. I mean, if you think about it, if you have a complex packaging machine and you're a controls guy, and you, you, your task with coming up with the, the optimum, the most optimum way that these mechanical components should move these parts around to do whatever they need to do. Yeah, if you're able to, you know, have AI help you develop your motion control program, and you're doing it based on it's your digital twin is what the AI is testing it against. I just think that 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 can open up a lot of opportunities, you know, rapid program development as well, and, and so on. So, and I would give an even like simpler example. You know, I've been part of many like speed up projects, and a lot of times it's just run parts to failure, right, and then figure out what you need to replace them with. And uh, in many situations in manufacturing, again, because once you identify a certain bottleneck, the I guess the task is, can we speed up the existing equipment or can we add, you know, a second piece of machinery? And in some cases, speeding up is usually cheaper. But a lot of times, again, it, there's no easy way to figure out whether or not we can just, obviously in automation, you can just crank up the speed of, uh, let's say, your PLC. But uh, at the end of the day, your mechanical components don't always respond very well to that approach. Yeah. But hopefully I, I, the last question that one of your um, guests had, I, I thought was, uh, was, was very, very well put. And yes, 
not all simulation models can run real time, but the ones that are able to run real time. And in fact, sometimes we refer to some, some simulation models if they can run headless, meaning that as I don't, you don't even need, there is no interface to it. It's just a program running on an edge device that's interacting with an MES system and ERP system and the automation. And it's simulating, it's, it's looking at, well, I've got these, or I've got these level of um, orders coming in. I've, I've, I'm, I'm looking at how the machine is running. And every two minutes or every 10 minutes, whenever I'm going to run a simulation to predict, oh, I need to speed up. I need to slow down. You know, so that for me is, is, the, is the holy grail where the simulation tools are on, on, on an AI are running on, on, on those edge devices beside the machine. You know, it's like an extra muscle on top of the existing automation that's on the machine already. So. No, 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 that, that, that's fantastic. I think that's very interesting. And I think this is absolutely, or maybe these are absolutely, you know, technologies that we're going to have to keep top of mind and continue to have conversations as to, you know, what end users are doing or what machine builders are using and how we're using this. And I think this is absolutely one of those applications, as I told Vlad, it would be amazing, you know, if we could go look at the factory, you know, be on the floor, look at the 3D model of what's going on on a digital twin and then kind of just like stand up or pan up on the camera and like literally see the machine running um, in the same uh, in the same way. So I think that this is a very interesting uh, piece of technology or a series of pieces of technology that we're only all going to be more intimately familiar with um, in, in the coming years. Uh, so I think that's very interesting. And then with that, as as I promised you yesterday on the prep, uh, we're going to reach a point where we're slightly over an hour because the conversation was so good. And I'm going to have to move us into the uh, the rapid fire question uh, section in order to attempt to uh, be close to that one hour uh, time that we, we promise everyone to be in. Um, and so typically this is the this is the time where I would ask if you had a good book recommendation. But as we were discussing, it's really difficult by the time most books are written on this subject, they're already out of date, but you had a fantastic uh, YouTube uh, video kind of like presentation recommendation. Uh, do you, you want to tell everyone a little bit about that? Yeah, um, thanks, Dave. So I think for anyone interested in what a an industry expert with a lot of uh, gravitas and, and knowledge, what their perspective is for how technology and industry needs to go in the future. Um, there was a keynote presentation given recently, I think it was about maybe three or four weeks ago, at the Material Handling Institute, MHI. And the keynote was given by Amazon's Director of Robotics and AI Strategy. His name is John Battles. Um, his keynote presentation, it's up on YouTube. I think that's the link that... Uh, uh, Dave will, will, will add here. Um, it's it's brilliant. It's all I can say um, as far as an insight into technologies, not just for material handling, um, but I think across many different industries, um, where technology is going, what people need to think about, and and uh, you know sustainability, industry 4.0, supply chain, you know compute 2.0. I mean, it, it, he hits a lot of topics there that. Uh, you could, you could have endless podcasts just on some of the top the topics that he hits and but in a very very insightful way and uh, I think you know compassionate way you know to how to be you know how do we get 50% energy out of some of the systems that they have now you know there was a, a lot there to kind of consider so 
Oh, absolutely. That's interesting. And that is uh, on top of my list of uh, videos to, uh, to go check out. I think that that is very interesting. Thank you for bringing that to, uh, to all of our attentions. Uh, so the next question is, is Colm, who should connect with you? Who do you want to talk to? Who do you want to help? You know, who, what sort of customers are you looking to talk to? Who, who should connect with you? Well, in, in, you know, machine, beginning with, you know, machine builders or line builders who are interested in really getting involved with understanding more around digital twins, how digital twins technology um, can help them grow their business, plain and simple, whether it's through faster commissioning time, through training, virtual training, through promotional sales, you know, there's a lot there that we can show from an end user manufacturer perspective, in many cases, if there's a chief technology officer or we see a role, um, sometimes now chief digitalization officer, those are people that our group, we like to speak to because, you know, maybe it's around data, maybe it's around the product, you know, how to companies who want to become, you know, digital enterprises, where to start on that journey, you know, our group can really help with that. So, um, anyone interested in learning more about a digital twin? <laughs> so, no. yeah. I, I think we've got uh, maybe a dozen or more people in the comments who are very, who, who will be spending the rest of the night trying to, uh, to learn about digital twins. Uh, so thank you for throwing all of us down uh, that rabbit hole. And uh, so, so last question I have for you, Colm, is do you have a good piece of career advice uh, for folks in manufacturing or for folks in automation? Well, I think... Career advice for me, depending on where I work from the U.S. and in Germany, I think number one, I think it's nothing new here is be, stay flexible um, um, and all be ready to every three to five years, get ready to learn something new. You know, look at the industries will change. Do not stay static. Stay hungry. Stay hungry. Mm -hmm. Stay hungry for the knowledge. Um, and those who embrace you don't have to embrace every cutting edge technology, but you need to stay up with it. And, um, and, and the doors I've, what I've noticed, I mean, from career development, the individuals that I've worked with who are, you know, keep their nose down, but are um, uh, uh, tenacious uh, workers, tenacious learners, tenacious curiosity. How do we make this better? Doors will open for you. People will recognize that, you know, um, don't just go along to get along. You know, you, you got to try to, you know, life is short. <laughs> try to have fun and try to do something creative. And if you stay tenacious, and I've worked, I've worked with the groups where, um, you know, there was a really good mix of people, a good mix of, of open, honest input, account combined with hard work, creativity. Yeah, you know, great things will happen from that. So I don't know if that's... <laughs> No, that's amazing. Thank you, uh, thank you so much. And one of the things that I love for most people, most especially people that have gone down, you know, some sort of technical route uh, with Siemens, is the fact that many people get the opportunity to spend some of that time uh, overseas in Germany yeah. Yeah. Uh, as well. And so I think that that is fantastic advice. Uh, thank you very much uh, for that, Colm. Um, yeah, and so thank you, everyone. Uh, this has been episode forty of the Manufacturing Hub with Dave and Vlad. For our podcast listeners, again, we are doing a giveaway of Siemens software. You guys can go ahead and check out manufacturinghub.live slash Siemens hyphen giveaway. Uh, we will continue to be live next week uh, talking about emerging technologies. And please feel free and make sure to catch the podcast episodes that come out 
Thursdays at about one o'clock East Coast time. Um, until next time, thank you, everyone. We'll see you soon. Thank Bye-bye. you, everyone. Thank you, Colm.